You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health Podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds, like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. Hello, and thank you for joining us for a mindful moment. There's never been a better time to build your mindfulness skills. Mindfulness not only improves your mental, emotional, and physical well-being, but provides a foundation for remaining calm during stressful challenges and events. Through mindful thoughts and actions, we can do more than just survive life's challenges. We can continue to thrive. The key to becoming more mindful is simply practice. We hope this podcast will provide you with knowledge, inspiration, and motivation. Working together, we can learn and grow from any experience. So, let's get started. Another day, another week, almost another month. Such an interesting and irritating time to be going through. There's change afoot, which is both exciting and scary, and there's monotony beyond belief, which is boring and tiresome. I've heard people describing their lives at this point as Groundhog Day, from the movie with Bill Murray. But by now, I hope we're all on the same page in at least understanding that even though this is a challenging period, it will pass and we can make the best of it, or not. I also hope at least some of you started to think about your new normal from our last episode. I spent some time focusing on mine, and although I don't have a full picture yet, it's starting to fall into place, and frankly, I don't feel like there's a rush here. We've got quite a way to go before we can probably even sort of see what the outside world will look like for the next few years, so it's definitely a little murky picturing how we'll fit into it. Anxiety continues to be the number one issue that our workshop participants and coaching clients report being disruptive to their current situations. As we've discussed for weeks now, although there are a lot of external events that may cause stress or anxiety, a lot of that anxiety is because our minds do not like uncertainty, and we're certainly sitting in the biggest puddle of uncertainty I've ever experienced. Uncertainty causes the brain to release hormones that generate fear. This is a built-in protective mechanism that has not evolved as our environment has changed. 
In studies on uncertainty, the less information the subjects had to go on, the more irrational and erratic their decisions became. That's a little alarming considering how much we don't know right now. There are ways, however, that we can override our brain's irrational tendencies and handle uncertainty more effectively. I think we need two levels of uncertainty remedies, one for the immediate quick hit, so to speak, and the other for the long haul. There are several simple steps to take to help us better face uncertainties. Be kind to yourself. Don't beat yourself up if your tolerance for unpredictability is lower than someone else's. Remind yourself that it might take time for the stressful situation to resolve, and be patient with yourself in the meantime. Reflect on past successes. You've overcome stressful events in the past. Reflect on what you did during that event that was helpful and what you might like to do differently this time. Limit exposure to news. Compulsively watching the news only keeps our stress levels high. Limit check-ins and avoid the news during vulnerable times of day, such as right before bedtime or on days when you are feeling particularly sad, angry, or fearful. Don't believe everything you see or hear. We live in a brand new world when it comes to access to manipulate the public. Avoid dwelling on things you can't control. When uncertainty strikes, many people immediately imagine worst-case scenarios. Get out of the habit of ruminating on negative events. Do control what you can. Focus on the things that are within your control, even if it's as simple as weekly meal planning or laying out your clothes the night before a stressful day. Establish routines to give your days and weeks some comforting structure. Seek support from those you trust. Many people isolate themselves when they're stressed or worried, but social support is important, so reach out to family and friends. Engage in self-care. Don't let stress derail your healthy routines. Make efforts to eat well, exercise, and get enough sleep. And of course, practice mindfulness and meditation, yoga, or other mind-body techniques. We are definitely in a marathon, not a sprint, so that long-haul view is not about what's happening in the external world. It's about changing our relationship with uncertainty. Increasing our psychological resilience is a permanent solution to working and living with uncertainty, as it allows us to tolerate uncertainty more effectively and to more readily accept outcomes that are less than desirable. Resilience is our ability to adapt and bounce back when things don't go as planned. Resilience is not a trait that people either have or do not have. It involves behaviors, thoughts, and actions that can be learned and developed in anyone. Mindfulness practices can help us strengthen that resiliency. For a clearer picture of what that might look like, I had a conversation with Dr. Jill A. Stoddard, founder and director of the Center for Stress and Anxiety Management in San Diego, California, to discuss her book, Be Mighty, A Woman's Guide to Liberation from Anxiety, Worry, and Stress, using mindfulness and acceptance. Thank you for joining us, Jill. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I really loved the book, so I really want to start out with that. I think it's very pertinent right now and very helpful, very usable, so that you can right away start practicing and learning and 
getting less anxious. I wanted to cover in becoming what you state as the me you want to be, you ask and answer several important questions. And one of them, especially in light of what's happening everywhere, the question is, what would you stand for if what ifs and fear of uncertainty didn't inhibit you? And so I was wondering if you could expand on that a little bit. Yeah. So first of all, thank you for the compliment about the book. And I do hope that people find it applicable. That's really the point is that you can learn some of these things and then have immediate practical skills that you can use to have the life you want. And a big part of that life you want is, you know, we often make choices that are driven by our pain. You know, if this thing makes me anxious or I'm afraid then I'm going to avoid it, or if my mind is telling me I'm a fraud or an imposter, then I'm not going to do this thing, even if it's something that's incredibly important to me. And so that's the me you want to be is you know, if your mind wasn't feeding you bullying critical thoughts, and if you weren't feeling afraid, what might you be doing differently? And that's really thinking about the me you want to be. And, and the book is based on acceptance and commitment therapy, or ACT. And in ACT, what we call this values, what you want to stand for, what you want your life to be about, if things aren't holding you back. And I think this is particularly relevant right now when, you know, we're still stuck at home (laughs) and there's not a lot of big stuff we can be out there doing, but it's a time where we might need to be more flexible and make changes in the way that we're working or socializing or showing up as parents. And so we can practice the me we want to be even in these small ways, even while we're at home in terms of how, how we show up to some of these new roles and changes. Excellent. That actually leads right into my next question, which is a lot of people attend a workshop, they go to a seminar, they read a book, they think it's fantastic, they can't wait to improve their lives or change their lives, and then they don't do it. They don't follow through with the exercises or the activities. And I know in in the book, in every chapter, you've got these little inserts called bring it on to try to get them to journal and to do different activities to anchor these lessons and to practice them so that they become a habit. So I'm wondering if you have any suggestions to help motivate people or to explain why it's so important that you actually follow through. Yeah, I've been guilty of that myself, I will admit, you know, going to the workshop and having all the best intentions and not following through. And, you know, I think there's a a couple key pieces to this. One is we often wait until we feel motivated to do something. And if you, you wait until you want to do something or feel like doing something, if it's difficult, that time may never come, right? Like if I waited till I was excited to do the dishes, my dishes would be piling up in my sink for weeks. And so I think part of it is coming back always to that me I want to be you know, recognizing like, what is it that's maybe getting in the way? What are the things that my mind is telling me right now? Oh, well, I can just skip this. I don't need to do it. You know, that the book is called Be Mighty. So if I just rush through and don't do the exercises, I'll be mighty that much quicker. Or maybe it's writing these things down is hard and painful. I don't want to think about my anxiety. I don't want to face the, the troubling emotions that I'm having. So I'll just skip through this and, and read because the reading is quick and easy. So I think being able to get in touch with what might be getting in the way of sitting down and doing some of those exercises and then really connecting with who is the person I want to be and why does this matter to me? You know, I picked up this book for a reason you know, what is that reason? Or I also refer to it as keeping your why close by. 
and then doing it even if it's hard or even if you don't feel like it. And, you know, all the feedback I've gotten from people, of course, is that the exercises are the most helpful part. Absolutely. <laughs> it would be nice if just reading and doing the easy thing would be the helpful thing. But, you know, of course, that's never how it works. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's great. You have a chapter titled Cultivating Might Through Mindfulness. And one of the things I loved about that section was that you talk about how practicing mindfulness doesn't make an experience necessarily fun or exciting. And I, I really want to hear more about that because I think a lot of people have, or not a lot, but well, many have a slight misperception that if you're mindful, everything's pleasant. There is no stress. There is no, there's no problems anymore. And that's really not how it works. And I was hoping you could share some information. Right. Well, and I think that's what's happened in pop culture is that it's sort of bastardized this term mindfulness. You know, if you do a Google search of mindfulness, it's millions and millions of hits, many of which are all the ways mindfulness will make you feel better and alleviate anxiety and be the key to a happy life. And I think, you know, what's important is that often mindfulness exercises, you know, there's a million ways, of course, as you know, to do mindfulness. And they often do result in a state of relaxation in that moment. And that's a lovely byproduct. But, you know, paying attention to our experiences, especially difficult thoughts and feelings, isn't necessarily always going to be pleasant. But I do think most of the time, what happens is even if the mindfulness doesn't make you feel better or joyful, it can make you feel less bad. And what I mean by that, I'll give you a personal example, if that's okay, yeah, sure. that I actually use in the book when I was first learning about this maybe 20 years ago. I thought, you know, I'll put this mindfulness stuff to the test and I'm going to go ride the bus, the city bus mindfully when I was in graduate school in Boston. And it's the middle of winter and it's freezing cold and, you know, I'm, my nose is freezing and my tears and everything is just miserable. And I hated riding the bus. And so on this day that I decided to do this mindfully, I was just paying attention to my experience, the experience of how the temperature changed as I inhaled versus exhaled. The experience once I got on the bus of sweat now trickling down my face of, you know, I'm very short and I can't reach the, the handle. So the feeling of my muscles contracting as I'm sort of surfing and trying not to fall. And what I realized at the end of that ride is that nothing makes waiting for a bus in zero degree weather pleasant. Nothing makes riding a very crowded bus in now 90 degree heat where you think you're going to fall at any moment pleasant but it was less unpleasant because the experience became just what it was, not what my mind usually said it was, which is, this is horrible. When is the bus going to come? I hate the winter. I'm going to fall on my butt and embarrass myself and hurt myself. And so the non-judgmental piece of mindfulness takes all of that narrative out of the equation so that you're just having the experience for the experience, you know, what it is, not what the mind says it is. When I read that section of the book, memories came back of living in Milwaukee. And I did not practice mindfulness at that time. And I thought, oh, I wish I'd known about it then because I made it pretty miserable complaining about and judging all of the wind chill 50 below zero. I didn't like it at all. <laughs> and it's understandable that our mind goes to these places right. and it creates you know, it turns pain into suffering instead of pain just being pain. Exactly. Yeah. I try to explain to people that it may not be pleasant, but it creates a space so that you can see that it's, you know, it's, it's like your thoughts are not who you are. 
the experience is not, it's the same thing. You're putting that space in between so that you can observe it, but you're not judging it and, and engaging in it as much, I think. But that's great. And in you. that space, you can make a choice right. about the me you want to be, right? It's a response rather than a reaction, a reaction. Yep. you know, that I'm not punching the person next to me on the bus. Not that I would do that anyway, but. <laughs> you might think it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another section of the book that I thought was very pertinent, it's all pertinent, but I mean, I really thought it was interesting now under our current circumstances, because you talk about external obstacles. And I'm wondering if you could share some advice with our audience about how to navigate external obstacles and the importance of holding plans lightly. Yes, absolutely. Well, let me start with the holding plans lightly, because I think in some ways that speaks to the first question as well. And, you know, what this is really about is in most Western cultures, we have a real hyper-focus on goal achievement that, you know, the measure of success is that you set a goal, you go for it, you achieve it, and, you know, and then you're done. And this is problematic for many reasons. One is, you know, what happens if you don't achieve the goal? If this goal was related to something that's very important to you, then you may be very likely to give up. But alternatively, if you achieve the goal, you know, it's sort of like checked off the list done, you might also be likely to then give up even if it's related to something that's important. And most importantly, as much as we like to think our goals are within our control, they're, they're really not, right? We can, you know, desire to get into a graduate school program or get married, you know, any number of different things, and we can take many steps that make that more likely. But the ultimate outcome is not something that we control, and yet we hold on to that very tightly. And so that holding lightly, we, do you want to do the, the quick exercise? Do we have time for that? Sure. Yeah? Okay. So if people who are watching or listening take anything they can hold in their hand, it's a pen in the book, but you can use anything that you can, it doesn't have to write, it just needs to be something you can hold. I'll hold my AirPods. And so think about a goal you've been working toward that you've been really putting a lot of effort into and squeeze whatever you're holding as tightly as would represent all of the energy and effort and attention you're putting into achieving that goal and give it a number like zero to 10 and notice how it feels and then let go about 50%. So if you were at an eight, you know, hold it a four and notice how that feels and then let go as much as you can, like hold it as lightly as you can while still, um, you know, without letting go and notice how that feels, right? And what's the one thing that hasn't changed? We're still holding our object, right? And so this is meant to be kind of a metaphorical experiential exercise about how we can take steps to move forward with things that are important to us, you know, that we can desire to achieve a goal, but sort of hold those outcomes a little bit more lightly. And I love this exercise because I think people really, there's something about doing things experientially with your body, you know, that kind of make it click. And the book, going back to the question about the exercises, there's journaling in there, but also a lot of it is metaphor and more of these experiential kind of practices that really help internalize some of these concepts a little bit more. And then as far as the, the external obstacles, you know, this is always a challenge. The book focuses mostly on internal obstacles, meaning what are the thoughts and feelings that are getting in the way? And you don't have to fix them in order to move forward. You just have to change your relationship to them. But that doesn't mean we don't encounter external obstacles. 
you know, like time or, or money or things like this. You know, if you want to, again, going back to the example of if you want to go to school, it might be difficult to afford that. And so on the one hand, we can engage in kind of typical problem solving, and there's some help in the book for how to do that. But the real key here is not waiting until you're in the exact right place before you take steps to move forward. You know, we get stuck in this like, well, I I had a, a client once who was telling herself the story, as soon as I lose 50 pounds, then I'll date, then I'll get a new, I'll go for the promotion at work. And she had been telling herself that for uh, 17 years, I think it was, right? So to her, this was an external obstacle that, you know, the question kind of becomes like, is it really an obstacle or is this something that you can have and work on and also live and move forward anyway? You know, when I tell, I have a hard time motivating to exercise. And when I tell myself, well, it's too cold out. Oh, well, it's too hot out. Oh, it's too early. Oh, it's too late. You know, are those truly external obstacles or those things I'm telling myself are obstacles that really are internal obstacles? Absolutely. Does that make sense? Did that answer the question? Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Yes, I totally agree with that too. One of the things in closing that we've been asking all of our guests is they're willing to share your go-to practice when you feel anxiety coming on. So, you know, as things happen and you get that feeling, what's your go-to to get recentered or to relax or to yeah. feel better? It, it's actually really quick and simple. And I, u- I use it a lot. And I, I just named it recently, Stop, Look, and Listen. So stop. And, and it also goes one, two, three with Stop, Look, and Listen. So stop, take one slow, mindful breath, right? And then look at two things in your environment. So pick one thing, any one thing, and just really focus on seeing it. So I'm looking at my microphone right now and I'm noticing the textures, the places where light and dark hit the microphone, the shape, right? So really noticing the details. So stop as one breath, look at one thing, then look at another thing. So you're flexibly choosing to shift your attention to another object and focus on that as well because that's a part of mindfulness practice is the flexible shifting. And then listen to three sounds in your environment. And I like it because you don't have to close your eyes. You can be out for a walk. I mean, you can be driving your car. You can really be doing anything. It's a way to quickly snap yourself back to the present, to ground yourself. And then, like you were saying before, kind of give you that space where then you can choose, okay, what's next? Oh, that's fantastic. Wonderful. Well, I hope that you're well in San Diego. I know you're down south and that you stay safe. And I really appreciate you joining us and sharing such valuable information with our audience. Thanks, Teresa. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And I really, again, love the book and I hope people go out and get it and do the practices. So thank you. Absolutely. (laughs) Stop, look, and listen. What a simple yet effective exercise we can all do to get grounded whenever we start feeling anxious. Let's relax and allow our minds and bodies to connect and align. Close your eyes or lower your gaze. Deep breath in through the nose to a count of one, two, three, four. Hold. Two, three, four, five, 
six, seven, and exhale, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Think of something that feels uncertain to you right now. It could be related to your job or your family or society. When you think of uncertainty, what area of your life pops into your head first? Spend a few seconds thinking about that area. Now scan your body and notice where you feel that uncertainty in a physical sense. Where are you holding that tension? Focus on your breath and picture breathing in calming and healing energy that you direct to the area in your body where uncertainty is causing tension. Breathing in relaxation for that area, breathing out any tension that is there. Continue breathing in to calm that area and breathing out any tension held. Return your attention to your surroundings. Instead of resisting uncertainty, shift your mindset toward accepting that it is here. And although you can't change that, you can change how you manage it simply by breathing in and breathing out. Life offers too many rich opportunities to just survive it, even during challenging times. Our intention is to support you in thriving through a life of purpose and meaning. Until next time, remember to be mindful. To learn more about Dr. Stoddard's work and book, visit her website at jillstoddard.com. To watch any of our interviews from the podcast, visit our website at worktoliveproductions.com. And be sure to join us next week when we talk about the Me We Want to Be with TEDx speaker, leadership coach, and founder of the Healing Springs Ranch in Texas, Rachel Graham. Please subscribe to A Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Please rate this podcast so that others can find us. And follow us on social media at work to live a Mindful Moment is written and hosted by Teresa McKee. The Spanish version is translated and recorded by Paola Tile. Intro music, Retreat, by Jason Farnham. Outro music, Morning Stroll, by Josh Kirsch, Meteorite Productions. Meditation music, Mysterious Sorrows, by Akash Gandhi. This podcast is produced by Work to Live Productions. Thank you for tuning in.